In today's episode, we're talking about Eastern Canada real estate markets, pension plans for your kids, and there's a big giant announcement. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey everybody, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So hope you're having yourself a wonderful day and I hope you got your attention from the opening tease to today's podcast. So have a wonderful opportunity of having truly a national perspective and having a national contact database is a true blessing that I have. And here's the point I'm trying to get to is I have a chance to see all different real estate markets across the country. I'm working with people that are investing in Atlantic Canada. I'm working with people that are investing in Ontario, Quebec. I'm investing in uh, working with people that are investing in the Prairie Provinces. I'm working with people that are investing in British Columbia. So I truly have a well-rounded look in the market. But every so often, um, you know what, I have to go to, you know, people that even have more experience and even more in-depth insight into the marketplace of that they're investing. And that's what I wanted to do with this upcoming episode. So a great chance to sit down and have a conversation over, you know, over the internet with my good friend, Erwin Zito. And I think we we made the comment when we recorded this. I think it, it was honestly, I think it was, um, you know, First of all, everybody, happy two-year anniversary for two-year bend the curve, if you will. Where have these last two years gone? Like, seriously, if you actually just think about it and reflect back upon it, if you look back upon these last two years, have you been happy with what's happened? It's maybe felt you a little bit wanting as it's maybe aged you a little bit, or maybe you're even more fired up than ever you were before. So here's the thing. The last two years have happened. There's nothing we can do about it. We can't go back in time unless we have a DeLorean and a flux capacitor and and Doc Brown and and Marty McFly are with us and we jump into the uh, the time machine and go back a couple of years. It's happened. So what has happened in the past has happened. So now today potentially could be a, a new starting point. Today could be day one of your next phase. Today could be day one of the next journey and the next evolution, the next creation of what you're about to do within real estate whom you're be about to become as a person. Maybe you're about to make a huge, giant decision. And that decision, although it might be painful, and that decision might be very uncomfortable, a uh, decision needs to be made in order for you to move forward. Okay, game. So here's what I'm, I'm here to do. I'm here to be a little bit of a, a lighthouse. You know, what is a lighthouse good for? You know, when things are maybe a little bit stormy and Things are a little bit foggy out there. A lighthouse is on the rock, the bedrock on the shore, right? It sits there. It's on solid ground. It's like the, the anchor. It's rock solid, right? And what does the lighthouse have? It has a big giant beam of light that's pointing you through the fog, guiding you where the obstacles, where the, you know, the rocks are, where the shore is, where the port that you have to get into. So that's what I'm trying to accomplish here within my YouTube channel, within my podcast, within some of my coaching and relationships and people that I have as being just that lighthouse in the storm for you. And for some of you might be going, what storm, Ross? Smooth sail and clear as, you know, clear as glass. That's good. Keep it going. Set your sail, get it in the right wind condition and just let the wind take you. Get on the momentum and let it ride. But maybe, maybe you're just one of those people that is having a little bit of a tough time. You're having 
a challenging moment. Maybe you're having um, second guessing about what you're doing and you're just not sure of those next steps. That's what I'm here to do is be that guiding lighthouse in the storm, in the fog, pointing you towards the shore. Okay, gang. So in this episode, I had a great opportunity of talking to my good friend, Erwin Zito. And I think we joked about sometimes Erwin and I, the only time we get a chance to actually connect and talk to each other is when we book each other on each other's podcast and we sit down and we force ourselves to an hour to an hour and a half conversation. So we went deep into many different topics here. We talked an awful lot about um, the markets, what's going on, what's Erwin's research that he's seeing out in Central Canada. I shared, obviously, what I'm seeing out in Western Canada. Canada. We did a little compare and contrast. We talked about some economic fundamentals. We talked a lot about business. I'm very interested in what Irwin is doing from business side because he's taken this whole real estate game from not only just investing in properties, an active role in as a realtor, an active role in building a coaching practice, an active role in building out a course and service and solutions for the everyday Canadian. And that's what we talk a lot about is building those solutions, building those businesses around solutions to help people move forward. We talked an awful lot about what he and his wife, Cherry, have done within the realm of um, accounting and tax planning and financial planners. Essentially, financial planners for the everyday Canadians is really what we want to get to. So one of the things that really stood out for me in this one was um, when he talked about buying properties for your kids and having a pension plan. So there's a crazy cool story that we share in this one as well. And the other thing in this one is, Erwin, I tried to get the full, I tried to get all the details out of this, but he dropped a little bit of an announcement of something that's upcoming later in the year. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to listen to the podcast and stick around right to the very end, and you will find out what that announcement is. Okay, everybody, with all that being said, let's get right after it. Please help me welcome Mr. Erwin Zito. Hey, Erwin Zito. Hey, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, my friend? I'm excellent. Thanks for... It's been, it's been too long, Russell. Yes. It's been too long since we chatted. It's probably more than six months. I have to get the most important things out of the way first. Uh-oh. My, my wife says hello. And how, oh. is, <laughs> how is Cherry and how are the kids doing? Uh, say hello to Karine as well. Everyone's great. You know, we were well set up for this to happen. Obviously, we didn't know this, all this craziness was going to happen for the last two years. But uh, having did a lot of the right things up front, you know, having businesses that create value, having a healthy real estate portfolio. And uh, the MVP who doesn't get talked about enough is my nanny. So it's all the at-home school stuff is her problem mostly Yeah. <laughs> while I still went to the office. <laughs> well, we're going to date this podcast. So we're going oh, to no! date this a little bit. So so first of all, happy two-year anniversary of two-week Bend the Curve. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thunk, eh? Two years ago? It was right around this time when, when it was, I think it was, I remember like March 13th when kind of all heck broke loose. Friday the 13th was like kind of coined it. Kind of everybody was just going, oh my goodness, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it was all about, you know, bend the curve, two weeks, you know, lockdown for two weeks. And then now here we are two years later. Huh? So yeah, no more gray hairs, no more bags under our eyes, no more, you know, extra roll above the belt line and things like that. Eh? So we're all better human beings now, two years later. Yeah. We should all be much more grateful, actually, having known what, what 
the S hitting the fan looks like. Yeah, I, I 100% hear you. So Erwin, what's it like being on the other side? Meaning you're usually the one pushing the buttons and hitting the hitting the record button, and you're the, usually the one asking the question and being the, the the gracious host of a podcast. What's it like being on the other side, being a guest? It's different in that I have to come up with the stories and I have to be the one <laughs> that's supposed to provide provide value. Because <laughs> that's why I did the podcast, and that's my own podcast, and that's why I had you on as one of my early guests. I needed people who knew their stuff to actually be on the show. Hence, I always had guests on. I had you on, I had Don Campbell, I had Julie Broad, for example, as a few of my first couple of guests, right? And so I needed I need, I need someone to uh, be the value provider on the show. So you're saying you got to work today, right? <laughs> I gotta, I gotta make up some stuff. No, I'm kidding. Well, well I know for a factor when you're gonna bring some fire today. Aren't absolutely? You're gonna just gonna get hot in here very quickly. Woo! And I'm gonna pre-position it right now that there's gonna be an awful lot of bombs being dropped today too. By the way, so. Yeah, I do have some very unpopular opinions, and that's uh, you know, as long as you don't mind, you can well, always edit it later. <laughs> they're your truth, and nobody can yeah. ever fault anybody for sharing their truth right? Yeah. Geez, that might be a good name of a podcast, The Truth About Real Estate Investing or something. And that's how the show name came up because uh, you and I both know there's a lot of shady characters. Anytime there's money involved or power, generally money, whenever there's money involved, it's going to attract people with poor morals and ethics, right? And that's the point of my show is those people are excluded from my show. (laughs) And let's shine a light on repeatable methods of making money that are morally and ethically correct, right? Well, I know for a fact, um, you know, it's interesting how, and I remember when you told me this, and I just, my podcast is still fairly early in the journey. And I know you told me this, it goes, there'll be a whole bunch of people that will start contacting you. You literally will start getting emails on a on a daily basis of, here's a perfect guest for your show and, and all this kind of stuff. And I remember you telling me something that really stuck with me. And this is what I try to add for mine is you only want people on your show that you're a fan of, that you can learn something from that is of high quality, high moral and ethic ethical um, material. And that stuck with me. And that's one of the things is I could fill my guest spots up with hundreds of people and have a daily show if I wanted. Mm-hmm. But I just want to make sure that they're, they're people, really good people adding good value. That. Yeah, and I've been offered money. I've been offered a percentage of whatever I sell, and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I have no interest. <laughs> I'm not driven by money. <laughs> I have many capitalist tendencies, but uh, you know, the safety and financial well-being of my of my listener, my customer, my community matters to me more than making a couple thousand bucks. I could care less. Yeah, Yeah. I've coined the term. I don't know if I've invented it, but I just kind of use the term you're a caring capitalist, right? And Mm. we're going to get into a lot of your philanthropic work and a lot of the things that you're you're doing out there as well. So here's the question I'm going to ask. Two questions. There's going to, the next one I'm going to ask, I'm going to prep you here, is about what you're doing, what you're up to at the moment. And it's almost easier to probably talk about what you're not doing. (laughs) It'll probably be a shorter list. Way too much (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You, you've probably been on many different podcasts and you've told your story 10,000 times probably. And you're probably going, nobody wants to hear my story anymore. But do you have a story that you have not shared with an audience that you're aware of 
that you wouldn't mind just sharing with my audience here today that maybe somebody doesn't know something about you, maybe something in, in your past, something in your upbringing, something that maybe triggered you to get into this whole entrepreneurial space or something that triggered you to want to get into um, investing and, and whatever you want. Is there something you haven't shared on a podcast before? So that's actually just came up recently. I was attending a presentation, uh, part of a mastermind uh, for several figure entrepreneurs. And there were a lot of questions around money, right? So it's an exercise around uh, your relationship with one's relationship with money. So a lot of these, there are a bunch of questions that you need to answer, like for your own experience. And then hearing other people's experiences. So we would share afterward, after the questions were asked, we'd share each of our experiences. And what I found out was many people, successful, successful people did not have good foundational understanding of how to make money and what it can do and how to invest it. And then also from that conversation, I've been hard on my parents on how I was raised. Like they did the best they could. They came to Canada when they were 17 years old into a foreign country, foreign language and all those sorts of things. So there are things that were missing from my upbringing, right? Which is totally fine. They did the best they could. But some of the things that did came out, that came out of this discussion with the questions that were asked were uh, things like, so one of the things that, were, that came out in that discussion was, for example, what did your parents teach you about money? So one thing that I thought about was, I remember when I was working minimum wage at a farmer's market, right? And, you know, I was making like, you know, seven fifty an hour. It's like one of my first jobs. So when I got my paycheck, I'm like, oh, look, dad, look at all this money I made. My dad's a doctor. <laughs> right? So... For anyone who doesn't know, medical doctors, their billing rate's well over $300 an hour. So my paycheck was probably less than that. <laughs> it was less than $300. <laughs> but again, I'm young. I didn't have context. So he says to me, son, when you learn to make money with your mind, then you will make money. Right? And, then so, that, and so I was around 16 at the time. Or I was around 16 years old, somewhere around there. And so like, oh, uh, so that always stuck with me. And then the concept of time is money. So the example my dad gave me was that he didn't give me an example. He just said, I love driving on the 407. So the 407 is a tolled highway here in Ontario. And it's not cheap. <laughs> like to me, it's not cheap. But my dad would explain, like, dad, this costs money. I'd say to him, dad, this costs a lot of money. We just drive on the free highway. I know it takes a little longer, but it's free. You don't have to pay for it. And he would say, son, my time is extremely valuable to me. When I work, I work hard and I get paid well over $300 an hour. So if I had to pay $20 to save an hour of time, that is a good exchange of dollars for time. And like, oh, okay. And so that's always stuck with me. And that's stuck with me being an investor and entrepreneur in that if I can find low value things to trade my time for money, if I can buy things that are good value in exchange for my time, then that's a good investment. And that, that's how, you know, the story I have shared, for example, is when I became a realtor, I can't stand paperwork. So for any realtor out there, they would know how crazy this is. I hired my first assistant six weeks on the job while I was still part-time as an agent, right? Because I can buy someone's time for what I consider the low hourly rate, which is below my hourly rate. And I know you've taught that many times uh, from stage at Rain. You're teaching <laughs> outsource all these low-paying jobs, like property management, like mowing your lawn. Because your job is to go raise capital. Like that's tens and thousands of thousands of dollars worth of per hour work. 
that's such a big thing that people people gasp and I say, stop doing your $15 an hour jobs. Yeah. And then the people that are doing the self-management tasks are going, <gasps> you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's yeah. true. It, it's very true. So, wow. It's true. Thank you for sharing that story. That's a, an awesome story. And and Erwin, let, let's think about this for a second. You have not only learned that lesson your dad taught you, you're actually taking it the next level. Do you know that? You're now taking it to the point where you're not exchanging time for money. You're actually having your money start making money, right? Yeah. And you're not having to work for it now. You're not having to trade those hours for dollars anymore. You're now starting to even lever it to the next level. So give yourself a, one of these little pats on the back. You took dad's lesson and you're now taking it to the next level and you're sharing that with other people. Yeah. And I would encourage everyone to have those conversations with their friends. Because for me, one of the biggest ha-ha moments was, was that I was better off from what I considered limited teachings than many of my peers were. So that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. But you know, by and larger, when we've we've had it pretty good though. Right? We've had it pretty good compared to our parents and our grandparents and people if they had to immigrate into a country. I, you know, I thank my lucky stars every day that um how amazing this beautiful country is of Canada and how many well, opportunities that we have. I know it's messed up and we've got, we got always something to gripe about. Holy moly, the stuff that we're griping about in another country in this world would be sitting there going, geez, I'd love to have that problem. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. I made it a thing where I will not complain about the heat of the summer because I despise the cold so much. <laughs> now, in turn, I've made it a thing. I won't complain about this country because my great uncle was the one who got us into Canada. And how did he get us into Canada? He worked on the railroad. He paid the Chinese head tax to stay. Like one of the greatest black eyes of racism on this country was what he had to go through in order to be the bridge for the rest of my family to come. Wow. Right? So I will always be grateful for him and I'll always honor his memory. Have you ever gone through, and I, and I say this because I'm from Saskatchewan, and there's this wonderful museum in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. It uh, talks about the, and it's the underground caverns and the whole railway of voodooing. Of, if you ever get a chance to go see it, it's fascinating to go see that. It's frightening and sad at the same time, but it's fascinating to see the underground caverns where people were living at these times and, and being hidden away from everybody else. But the railroad was built on their backs, in essence, was carved with their carcasses, Part, pardon the, the graphic nature of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And my family left, evaded in a communist country. Yeah. So when people talk about Canada's coming, becoming communist, yeah. I'm not sure what their context is compared to what my <laughs> grandparents went through. Right, yeah. So you're one of the last people still left in, in Ontario and haven't moved to Florida yet, have you? <laughs> you know, like straight up, like uh, because of the color of my skin, I think that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't feel as comfortable uh, down there, right? And that's one of the reality of things. I love being Canadian. Like a friend of mine, a friend of mine has uh, most one of the most kindest hearted people. Him and his wife are Jewish. They adopted three kids from Africa, right? Most of his business is in the States. The idea of moving to the States is not an option for his family. Right. So grateful to be Canadian. Yes. We maybe should dub in the uh, O Canada national anthem right now. <laughs> and, you know, if some of our biggest things we have to complain about is, you know, I'm not even going to go there. We, this could go down a completely different path, which we don't want to go. But let's suffice it to say we're 
blessed. We are truly blessed oh, yeah. to be Canadian. And right now, with everything that's going on in the world, I think being a Canadian is going to get even more favorable as a safe place to come, as a safe place for, you know, food, fuel, fertilizer, and fresh water and forestry. All the things are going to start with F. Canada, and jobs. I think, and jobs, absolutely. <laughs> Canada is going to be very in vogue again upcoming right if we just yeah. need to we just need to just not be shy about offering to the world market what we have available in quite in abundance right mm-hmm. so i'll get off and we need we need yeah. people to fill jobs <laughs> yes yeah it's crazy i, I was just I had a conversation with a, a young fellow the other day and i said man uh, if you wanted to guarantee yourself a job and a career for the next 30 40 years um, get into some kind of a trade, you know, get into be a carpenter, yeah. a plumber, electrician. There's going to, we need houses in this country and there's going to be a housing boom like we probably haven't seen for a long time if we can just kind of get it figured out and remove some of the red tape and and get us building some houses, right? Yeah. Well, what are you guys short? What was the stat I saw you short in Southern Ontario? Was it like something like a million houses or something like that? I don't even know. The number's so big. Yeah. The, the number is so big, it's hard to get wrap your head around, right? And the other number that's huge is there's 1 million job vacancies in Canada and growing, right? Like, so I think everyone should understand that if there's a 1 million job vacancies, it means our economy isn't operating at, at its optimum, yep. right? So what are we doing about it? So we're not having enough babies. Yep. <laughs> That'll take a long time too, yep. to have a baby today and have a, a productive employed worker. And uh, the boomers are retiring, hence the need for immigration. And those immigrants are going to need somewhere to live. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I know the unpopular thing and maybe the right answer is potentially cut off some benefits and have people go back to work again. <laughs> I'm we'll sorry. See. I know we'll that see. might be the unpopular thing, but yeah. it's probably the right answer or one of the right yeah. You know, sometimes a complex problem is can't be just solved with one simple solution. There's It's very nuanced. And let's put it this way, especially these last two years, I would guess probably the worst thing to be potentially to do right now would be be a politician. <laughs> Honest to goodness. Oh like, my, you were, what a tough job they have. No matter what you did, it was wrong. No yeah. matter what you didn't do, was wrong yeah. and everybody had time and keyboards and everything you did was not good enough or not fast enough or not high enough or nobody was happy. It's almost like being a property management company. <laughs> right? Everybody's unhappy from both sides, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's two in our area that just closed their doors. So yeah, you just had a guest on your show, wasn't it? Uh, someone who was told some, you know, hair-raising stories of property management there, wasn't it? Are you listening to that one? That's I have crazy. not. I heard, I saw the, the tease of it. I haven't had a chance to dive into it. There's just so many podcasts out there. My goodness, everybody and their dog has a podcast now. I was actually surprised. The only, the only two that people should listen to are the two people <laughs> talking here today, right? <laughs> I was actually worried about the, with the pandemic. Like, before the pandemic, a lot of people listen to podcasts on their commute. Right. And then when we are in the pandemic, people aren't commuting anymore. <laughs> so I was, I was surprised to see our stats actually trick, uh, actually continue to go up. So, yeah, I'm not really sure how to explain that. Do you mind sharing? Are, are you up on your stats? Do you know, like, and I'm only asking for, you know, somebody who has a new, fairly new podcast. However, we just published, <laughs> we published 100 episodes, our 100th episode this Congratulations. week. Congratulations. Congratulations. And, uh, that was a fast way to, to 100. Uh, um, yeah, it was. Not quite, it was under two years. So two years, there'll be July. But 
And I heard a stat that most people, most podcasts quit after seven episodes of them creating it. And most like 80, I think it was like 87% of podcasts only get less than 300 downloads per episode. Mm. So do you mind, do you know your, your stats? What do you get per episode, give or take? For downloads. I don't want to scare people. <laughs> so I can, I'll gladly tell you in private, I don't want to scare people. So by, by scaring people, I mean, when guests come on my show, it's the same fear that they have, the experience is the same as public speaking. So that's why it became like a running joke on my show that, you know, no one listens. It's only like 12. I, I, just, I started off by saying only to like 12 people listen. So just yes. doesn't matter what you say. No one's listening. <laughs> so suffice it to say it's more than 300 and it's less than Joe Rogan's 111 million. So somewhere in between yeah. there. Correct. Yeah. And uh, the more important statistic is I had someone audit our show, yeah. a well-paid, uh, an expensive podcast producer audit my Mr. show. Is it Jay? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that came out was I didn't know because I didn't know how to run my stats, was uh, our average listening time is actually over 45 minutes. And then this uh, podcast producer said, you know, your listen time is more than two or three times my clients who are publicly traded companies. So that was uh, like, oh, that's cool. Wow. Because I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good to know. I, I know when I talked to Jay, he took a look at mine, and this was fairly early I think the stat at the time, which I can't find it anymore, it used to, they used to track average listen time per device over a two-month window. And I was three hours and 17 minutes over a two-month window. Now, I can't find that stat anymore. And I, I wonder if it's now broken down into average time per device per episode, maybe, or something now. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what did you learn about the process? How long has it been? How many episodes has it been, my friend? been podcasting since 2016. Wow. And yeah, uh, pretty regular one episode per week, almost that entire time. What have I learned? I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot of people won't share where they're weak. You and I have both seen a lot of companies that have scaled up really quickly, uh, collapse really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't talk about those things. So I'll get, I'll get to the positive in a bit. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, influencers who are out there who do, don't do good work. Right. It's kind of funny because like myself and my team are in this business. So for example, when we go see one of their properties, one of these influencers, like, oh, the workmanship's not what I expected. <laughs> right. Like corners are cut, you know, things are hidden, like things were deliberately hidden. For example, someone would uh, cap a window, for example. Say it's rot but when they find when they pull the capping off, like the window is wood and rotted, right? You know what I mean? It'd be stuff like that. And uh, yeah, that does, people don't talk about that on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I don't mean to be a bearer of bad news, but if a market ever had a slowdown or even just a pause for a little bit, some of those deferred maintenance that have been swept under the rug for all those years, if you can't get, just keep refinancing something that's gone up $100,000 a month, those are very rough times. And, and yeah. ask me how yeah. I know that. <laughs> yeah, no, those will be bad days. And uh, like that Warren Buffett quote, Don used to say it all the time too. When the tide goes out, you'll find out who's swimming naked. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, there's been some collapses of very large scale business, real estate businesses. And it's, uh, yeah, just don't be the, be the bearer of bad news. It's, yeah. it's why the lesson on my show has been consistently, you know, own your own property yourself. <laughs> yep. Right. There's lots of good passive investments out there too. I do a lot of them myself, but I'm only, I only do what I'm willing to lose. 
but all my major investments are properties that I own in my own name or my corporation that yeah. I control in an area that I know very, very, very well. <laughs> yeah, you, you know your lane, right? And you're yeah. one of the strongest swimmers around, right? By yeah. design. Yeah, so. it is by design because yeah. it is my family's almost entire net worth. So you better believe I know a lot about my investments. I know the streets. No one's pulling the wool over my eyes on what renovations cost or if a street, certain street is any good, right? And uh, yeah, you know, and versus I see, you know, a collapse of a company in the middle of the country and the commonalities of the problems were are the same, right? Some real estate experts that they used on their team were likely compromised. They were potentially paid off in order to be unethical and immoral in their business dealings. And then what did the investor do? They just believed them, right? Hmm. Well, I think there's a lot to unpack there for another day too, right? Yeah, yeah. and that's the truth about real estate. Not everyone's yeah. going to make money. So if someone doesn't make money in this market, something went wrong. Right. Well, and here's the thing is, this market is also very um, subjective too. Like there's, oh, um, yeah, yeah. real estate is extremely hyper-local. Like there are, are markets that mm-hmm. are absolutely on fire that, you know, hotter than a pistol. And then there's some that are in the deep freeze. In some, yeah. in some cases. But by and large, this is probably one of the first times I've seen in 20 plus years of doing this, by and large, everything's fire at the moment. Like it truly is, you know, it's it's like, woo-wee, hot, mm-hmm. hot, mm-hmm. hot, hot, right? Even the ones yep. that were slow are now getting hot. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have to happen in order to cool them down a little bit. But yeah. Be careful, be careful. Sometimes the medicine of cooling things down, the pendulum can swing the other way pretty quickly. And and I know that as well. So <laughs> absolutely. And that's why I'm trying to raise cash at this moment. Yep. Right. You know, the other great Warren Buffett quote is to uh be cautious when others are being greedy. I'd say people are getting pretty greedy in real estate right now. <laughs> <laughs> and be fearful. Yeah. And then be greedy when others are fearful. Yeah, when I start hearing people, all they talk about is is gains, appreciations. They don't talk about cash flows. They don't talk about operations. They don't talk about all that. All they do is refi, pull out borrowed money, live off of borrowed money. They're quitting their jobs. And once I start hearing all those things, and the reason why I'm cautious when I start hearing all this thing, because I said every one of those things. I made every one of those mistakes. I retired my wife from her job way too soon because the market was going up. It was like the analogy I used, the market was like a weekend in Vegas, right? It was like a bender in Vegas and everything else was, you know, like that. All of a sudden you come back from Vegas and, you know, oh, geez, now you're hungover, right? It's the hangover Mm -hmm. after. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's caused a lot of pain for a lot of people that bought a lot of properties at a high price and, you know, 15 years later, the the value of the place is not what you bought it for, right? That mm-hmm. happens. And that happens in large cities that if people, if somebody says that it will not happen in their market, I just say, okay, you know, tell me how that works out for you. Let's, let's talk in a few more years, right? Because it happens. Yeah. Cycles happen, right? Yeah. And, and I'm concerned about having another 2017 like, we, like uh, in Ontario. And I'm talking to all my clients about it, my team about it. If your plan is to sell in the next 12 months, I'd be doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, long-term long-term fundamentals are still strong. Yep. They won't be as crazy as it used to be. The conversation I had with Ben Rabadou just recently, he said, and I asked him what, what keeps him up at night. Like, what's the concern that he has that keeps him awake? And he said, one of the concerns are 
for him. And guys, if you want to go back, you can listen to that whole episode. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. The concern he had was if somebody is buying something and they went into a bidding war and they had to pay 400000 over list and it's closing in, say, six months, they're hoping that the appraisal value will come in in six months. What if that appraised value doesn't come in at that time and you can't get financing for it and you're scrambling and you don't have the down payment? It won't take too many of those contracts to collapse, to have a few things tick into the market and, and start a fairly painful period for a short period of time. Now, that's on the short-term basis. What are you seeing on a longer-term perspective, Erwin? I know we talked about this a little bit, but what do you see long-term for real estate right now? And what advice are you giving to your clients? And I know you started that with, you know, potentially selling a good... Selling your dogs is a good strategy right now. Not your woof-woof pets, but your dog Mm -hmm. properties. Mm -hmm. So what advice are you giving people and what are you seeing in the marketplace, Southern Ontario in your swim lane? I have clients, uh, like I said, I have some people who wanted to exit because they're taking, they want to take some profits on the table to enjoy it. So they're selling and they followed my advice. Like I said, if your plan was to sell in this year, I'd be doing it now, right? We're already starting to see some softness in the market. And uh, what I'm doing is I'm taking advantage of the craziest seller market I've ever seen, getting some appraisals done, and I'm going to refine some properties and I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to sit on that cash, wait for opportunity. I ain't spending it. I ain't trying to live off of it. I'm not spending it, period. Right? It's just to hoard some cash without triggering a sale and having to pay a whole bunch of tax. Because yep. I'm still I'm still in this for the long term, like beyond 10 years. Right. So yeah, long-term fundamentals are still fantastic. Yeah. What would some of those be that you're seeing? I know a lot of people don't like hearing this, but a lot of people want to be around Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful city. It's not as nice as where you live, <laughs> but we have a lot of jobs here. Well, I, I'm looking right? out my window and I see my green grass that needs to be cut and aerated and fertilized <laughs> here. And we had our bears. We started seeing our bears from hibernation already coming out around here. But but anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just chatting with someone about how, night. you know, it'd be a waste. I, my friends are vegans. So I was saying, you know, it'd be, it'd be sorry if you were in Vancouver and couldn't take advantage of all the wonderful foods that you have and the fresh seafood and whatnot. I love BC. BC is my favorite province. If I could live anywhere else, I live in Canada. I'd be living in BC. Yeah. But you do know what BC stands for? Do you know what that acronym stands for? What? Bring cash. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Irwin, I'm not, I'm a, it is ex- so <laughs> oh, yeah, expensive. <laughs> Our gas price is over $2.20 here now. I got my Tesla coming. It's all good. <laughs> there, there you go. I made money on my Tesla too because it's gone up like 10 grand in value. (laughs) Sorry, I digress. Toronto being the economic center of of, uh, Canada, a lot of great jobs, a lot of great paying jobs. And uh, it used to be more affordable than BC. (laughs) Yeah, it's now now the mantle of the highest price market in the country. Yeah, is it? Yeah, it's past Vancouver just a month ago. I don't know what people are thinking. We should hype up Vancouver more. <laughs> it's a beautiful city. Yeah. A beautiful Well, culture. where are you recommending people out in your neck of woods take a look at? Now, I know you've been Mr. Hamilton forever, but, you know, mm-hmm. a duplex in Hamilton is between a million and $1.2 million now. And yeah, um, yeah. does that still make sense? Uh, what are you seeing for rents out there? Where do you recommend people buy? Rents are still high. Like for example, my vacancy—I had, had two vacancies on my main floor, and I rented both for twenty-three hundred for the main floor. And uh, the rents that I replaced, they were paying like seventeen hundred, and those rents were only like two years old. Nice. So rents have uh, been very kind to us. 
uh, with the demographic change, a lot of people were moving away from the city. They wanted pr- to be in properties that were terrestrial land on, on land and have backyards. So that's exactly what I've always been investing in. Uh, my basements, you know, my basements used to be thirteen hundred. We used to rent legal basements for twelve hundred. I still have one of those tenants, uh, who's actually a, a nurse in the hospital. So I consider my, that my good deed. I, we've never raised her rent. But the, the last two basements that I filled are, were, were over 1,700 plus utilities. And then the next leg up, so it's already passed in Toronto where garden suites will be as of right, as in that people can install garden suites. So a third, well, for my context, it would be a third apartment on the property, typically in the backyard, yep. as of right, as in your neighbors can't stop you. And I think only within two, three years that'll happen in Hamilton. And that alone will just drive up the price of my property, even if I do nothing else. Yep. Because the precedent was already set in Vancouver when you guys got the uh, laneway housing. Yeah, well, they actually just changed the zone out here in Vancouver. Uh, I might get this not 100% correct, but now it's every property in Vancouver potentially can have six dwellings on it, six properties yeah. on it. Now, that's a zoning. Now, the realistic being able to put six units on a tiny little posted stamp of a lot is is next to impossible. It's, you know, it's nice to have the zoning, but if you can't do it, it's, it's irrelevant, right? So typical mm-hmm. duplexy property, Hamilton area, what are you looking? You're looking a million to 1.2 and you're renting in around the four, four grand mark? Give or take? Uh, roughly, yes. Okay. Seeing 1.2 is pretty common in Ontario. Like I have friends in, in Oshawa and they were confirming the same thing. 1.2 seemed to be the going rate for a pretty nice duplex. And pretty nice is still starter home. We're still talking about like 800 square foot bungalows. So they weren't like luxury properties. Yeah. But we're starting to see some softness. I saw this week a bungalow, a legal bungalow just went for over a million, just over a million. <laughs> so it was like a million and 45,000. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like for us who own these things like oh the market's ending and then for the people like regular people like yeah good lord that's a lot of money and yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a lot of money well i just um, helped an ontario investor get into um property in edmonton for it was a uh, just over 1.1 million for a fourplex that rents for 6300 a month is that new construction or is that yeah, brand new? It's an infill. It's a brand new infill yeah, yeah. product. So, so no, I mean, I, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying just for perspective, for the same type of a price point, you're getting $2,000 more in income. And mm-hmm. my simple Saskatchewan brain, sixth grade education is if you get $2,000 mm-hmm. more income, it probably has a better chance of cash flowing. Yes, I agree. And then my simple laziness is I won't get on a plane to go look at property. <laughs> <laughs> I hear so, you. I hear you. Invest in what I know. Yep, I uh, hear you. You know, once my credit dries up, then we'll we'll just use capital to build garden houses. And I'll, I know it's not some people won't be interested, but I enjoy being part of the solution yep. and creating more housing supply while also making some money at it. You know, numbers today are, are it's around two hundred grand to build a garden suite. And then I'll increase my cash flow by about a thousand bucks per property per month. Right. So, you know. so two hundred to cost. So if you have to buy something, and let's say you buy something, I've, I have some clients that are out your way, and you know they're buying it, they're into it. So let's say it's renovated, it's one point one million. You put another two hundred into it, you're at one point three. I know it's still so early, and I probably should have Andy Andy Tran on here. What are those valuing for right now? Do you know offhand ballpark? doesn't happen yet. No one's building them yet. I have clients that are going through the variance process. So it's still early. And but just like basement suites when they first became legal, yep. like they weren't appraising, right? It took time. Yep. So once these things, once these things go in motion, 
So for example, I'm in no hurry to build garden suites. I'd rather buy another house, right? I'm going to continue to, because 200 grand for a garden suite, that's pretty much my down payment on a duplex. So I'm more interested in acquiring more land. And also once the financing gets easier, for example, once I can get a construction loan for a garden suite, that would make that opportunity a lot more attractive. Yeah. And that's what a lot of our clients are doing is they're getting find the infill lot, they're getting the construction financing on it. And essentially, then they're building, whether it's a side by side with suites, four units, or even in sometimes we call them three house combos, which you guys are talking with the garden suites. And then when it comes time to get a completion mortgage on it, the valuations have gone up significantly that they're getting into it for less than 20% after it's all said and done. And I'm calling it the new construction burr, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed mm-hmm. to taking old and renovating, you're taking a piece of land and building up and optimizing the land on it right now. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's what I have. And I have some clients that are out in the St. Catharines area that are doing those things right now, that are finding houses that with suites with enough land to put a garden suite on. And they're, they're just kind of going through the process to get the variances, to get the plans, to determine whether it makes sense to build it or not, right? Yeah. I like these people. They're going to pave the path for me. (laughs) Well, here's the thing is, and and like I said to one of my clients, I said, you know, who knows what these things are going to be valued. If you're into it for 1.3, I would hope that it's going to be a 1.5 or, you know, give or take, because then it makes sense for you to do that. But Mm -hmm. as they said, it goes, the, the reason why we're really doing that is to get the additional rent out of the garden suite. Now, what are those things renting for? Do you know offhand ballpark? A garden suite because it's two bedroom. Like again, yeah. I get base. I get two bedroom. My two bedroom basements all run for seventeen. Right. So if you're on grade in a garden suite, I'd imagine you should be able to get more. Yeah. So if you're right. taking your duplexes from four up to a three unit at fifty seven, and you're adding a two hundred thousand, those start making sense again. They they've essentially by a zoning change and mm-hmm. a change of use of the land, they've added more opportunities for investors to get going again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think also like your clients, they have you as a coach. Well, I think a lot of them are looking for to be able to retire as and give up their day jobs. Most of my clientele are, they're doing real estate as a side hustle. So it's very different. And yeah. for example, people ask me all the time, why aren't you investing in Alberta for more cash flow? That my explanation is my businesses provide me cash flow. I enjoy them. Uh, so my goals are different, right? And I've been enjoying the appreciation as well. <laughs> no, I, 100%. Well, I very clearly have stated that I made a big, big mistake back in 2006, 2007, 2008 in Alberta, where I actually doubled down on my portfolio and probably added another 80 units to my portfolio at a peak and an absolute peak where I should have been divesting of some of those properties, the really bad properties, the really low performers, the ones that had deferred maintenance. I should have divested from that and invested more into Ontario and British Columbia. Our our bank account would be a lot different if if that was the case. If I had just gone back in time to tell me that little piece of advice that I've just shared today. But you know, Mm -hmm. hindsight's always 2020, isn't it, Irwin? Absolutely true. I've spoken to many very successful entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, in confidence, they ask me serious questions around real estate and I'm pretty open about it. I have clients who do real estate as a side hustle who have significantly greater net worth than they do. And it is very different to have a job 
than it is to run a business. Yep. The risks are different. The stresses are different. Can you guess which is easier? <laughs> I hear you. Right. One's more, well, a lot more active. One's a lot more passive. And yeah. I term it as I break it into build wealth versus make money. And you should have different strategies for each. You know, yeah. MMBW. Yeah. There's got to be mm -hmm. make money strategies and there's got to be build wealth strategies. And in some cases, that's one of the challenges with buy and hold real estate is it doesn't create enough spendable cash to be able to afford your Teslas and your holidays and your jug of milk on the table. But at the same yeah. time, over the last five, 10 years in Southern Ontario, it's been one of the greatest wealth generators you could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. Like it's mm -hmm. life changing wealth in many oh, respects. Yeah. My life has absolutely changed. Yeah. Right. You asked me to share stories I haven't shared. Please. My daughter's house is one of these duplexes that's worth a ridiculous amount of money. Right. I bought it. So, 20. just for context, your daughter, who is how old now? My daughter is now eight. Eight. Okay. So, just for I context bought, I, for everybody listening, <laughs> I bought her a house when she was three months old as her RESP. I paid around 250 for it. Right. I've had to put in over 100 grand because twice it had to be renovated once as a student rental, then, and then again to be legally duplexed. Right. And so, I have a small mortgage, and the house is worth over a million. So, simple math. People can have a pretty good idea what my daughter's net worth is. Yeah. How does that compare to the average Canadian? Right. I know yep. it doesn't cash flow much because we didn't, we've we still have the same tenants. <laughs> so, I have a single mom with four kids, and her mom's in the basement. The nurse that I mentioned earlier, and the poor mom was one of these nurses that got reallocated into one of the long-term care homes, and one of these long the people who don't think COVID's real. My tenant told me she saw the long-term care home lose half of their residents to COVID, right? So that's her first-hand account. Uh, there's some people that don't believe it's real. That's okay. Everyone can make their own decision what's real or not. And so to me, she's a hero. She doesn't need me to ever raise the rent. <laughs> yeah. Neither of them do because I don't need yeah. the money, right? I'm yeah. not in this for, for, I don't need the cash flow, especially not from these people, yeah. right? But anyways, that's my daughter's house. Yep. Uh, yeah, and her, again, my point might being like her net worth is higher than some of these really successful entrepreneurs I know. Uh, and then she's probably in the top 20% for net worth in, as a Canadian at eight years old. Wow. Right? Yeah, I remember when you talked about that right at the beginning as you were buying your kids. I think you called it the, the an education fund. Was it an education fund or was it a, a retirement fund? What was it? it? Essentially, the plan was to buy the kids each a property that when they mm -hmm. became of age, they would have more choices of where they could do or not do for schooling. That sounds much better than what my real problem was. Because okay. <laughs> what's maybe do okay in life is I'm a problem solver. So what's the problem? My daughter will eventually, I expect her to go to university, right? Uh, one that provides, <laughs> taking a program that will have return, preferably. <laughs> but anyways, and then I Googled how much does it cost to go to university, right? And so I found an article in the Globe Mail based on inflation rates. It was saying the her when she goes... By the time she's 18, tuition for undergraduate alone will be $70,000. So here's my problem. How will I come up with $70,000 after tax money to save for this? Right? And then here's my problem. I don't want to add years to my retirement age. <laughs> so let's find an investment that will pay for this, for this future ticking time bomb of 70 grand just for, for undergrad, undergrad alone. And what if? What if all these things, all these dreams and hopes I have for my kids, what if they want to become an Olympian? 
I don't think that's cheap. My understanding is not that's not cheap. Well, there There's was no money in it. Lots of stories of Olympians that just couldn't even afford to send over their coaches or couldn't, they, they don't pay any of them anything. And they just had to okay. actually quit the sport because they just couldn't afford to keep doing it. Right. And I have personal friends who have that situation. Yeah. And I made the decision that will not be my child. Right. Right. That will not be my child who can't go to university and afford a university. Right. It will not be my child that has to choose between getting a part time job or full time job. Or going to medical school, for as an example. If her hope and her dreams are to go to medical school, she will go to medical school. The decision will not be coming down to money, right? That's just where how I operate. Wow. Woo-wee. Woo-wee. Woo. <laughs> and always when the fire comes, what comes next? Obviously, a bomb is dropped. So good for you for state. <laughs> Good for you for taking a stand, Erwin. And it's just, you know, that doesn't surprise me in any way, shape, or form. It's just kind of the guy you are. That's all it is. I have a problem. I need a solution. Yeah. Right? We could go so many different directions on pivoting this conversation from here. Okay, so here's the conversation I want to go. It's my show, and I want to find out about this. What does your business look like now, Erwin? I know you started out as, as a realtor. You niched yourself as Mr. Hamilton. And I'm quite surprised that more people haven't become Mr. Kistner or Mrs. St. John or Mrs. Edmonton or Mr. Calgary. I'm surprised more people haven't done that because mm-hmm. it's been done very well for you. Of who's the, who's the expert in Hamilton in this room? Oh, how about Mr. Hamilton? How about the guy that's wearing the Hamilton Tiger Cat jersey for the yeah, la- same jersey for the last 20 years, right? <laughs> Hope you lost it. If, yeah. Uh, so what does your business look like? You have some properties, you have a brokerage, you have coaches, you have agents, you have a seminar business, you have, you know, a stock hacking portfolio, you have all these kind of things. Give the listeners maybe a context about what does your business look like right now? <laughs> so I got licensed in real estate in 2008. So it all started with, the business just started with, I was already a real estate investor. I was a member of Rain. And I had a portfolio of about five, six properties at the time. And then meeting people at Rain, making good friends there, uh, Andy Tran being an example, he knew I was an agent. And then he asked, and not just him, but others were like, I'd like to invest like you invest. Like, oh, that's easy. Right? Well, I know what I'd buy. <laughs> to me, it was a no-brainer to help people buy what I would buy. That's a really easy business model. And that's how it all started. It was just to help people build wealth in what I considered the most pragmatic, repeatable, ethically, morally correct way to do it, right? So that's how the business started. And then I got busy. You know, my clients are very, very happy people and yep. successful. Some real estate author and, you know, successful, uh, the OG of Canadian education and real estate went on to George Strombolophilus and said, oh, Hamilton's the place to be out there. And people started laughing. And all of a sudden, everybody's going, oh, Hamilton, <laughs> Yeah. Who's who's the Hamilton expert out here, right? Yeah. yeah. And then just a sidebar for anyone who's a realtor, being someone who studied business, understand there was a niche. There was no one in my market who focused just 100% on investors, who actually spoke their language in terms of cash flow and economic fundamentals and transportation improvements, right? So that's why I got into the business. The business today is way, way harder, right? Because when I started... I want to be the top of mind. Who is the realtor in Hamilton? Today, you and I can probably take 30 seconds and come up with 10 names. Right. Right. It's a very different market now. And so again, the business just started because I wanted to help people. And then it's just continued since then. Uh, So one of my clients, for example, 
he wants to start a property management business. And I'm like, told me you're crazy. <laughs> come work out. You're smart. Come be, come be, get your license and work with me. And he did. And then we kept going because we kept doing busy. We kept getting referrals. The nice thing about working with investors is they, they buy multiple properties. So we, we're just busy. And then the business grew. And I now have uh, six full-time agents on the team. So I'm no longer on the ground. So if anyone wants to work with my team, for example, they work with one of my agents. What we do is we're really like a consulting coaching business. We will help people execute the deal, right? Help them, guide them through the process of being renovated. We're all being investors ourselves. We take our clients and we drop them into our, our ecosystem. Here's my fence guy. Here's my plumber. Here's my contractor. Here's my basement guy, right? So the whole objective of the business is to make the learning curve go as easy as possible, right? Because if you're using the same property manager I'm using, you're a lot likely to have tenant problems like I don't. Or if you use the same home inspector that I do, then they don't care what my opinion is. They will tell my client what's what, right? So they'll keep them safe for most problems, right? And then Cherry, my wife, was on the team as well. She quit her accounting job to join my team as a realtor. And then she got pregnant. And then I didn't want her on the road anymore. <laughs> she just accidentally got pregnant, Erwin, right? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have anything to do with that? <laughs> uh, we started a family and then... The realtor hours, straight honestly, it's not great, right? Yeah. You know, my team is expected to work three nights a week plus one weekend. So not many people are willing to do it. Hence, realtors make more money than most people. Anyways, that wasn't what I wanted for the mother of our children. I said, hey, uh, we have all these clients that need accounting services, right? Like, you know, that would get you, that, you know, so that would allow you to work a more regular nine to five, get you off the road. And that's turned into a very significant business. <laughs> I don't even know how, like outside my office window, there's about at least 30 staff out there for the accounting business. So what started with, you know, you're fired from the realtor team to now a, a multi-million dollar uh, accounting business. Wow, that's awesome. And I know there's no competition there or anything about who's got the bigger database of names and who's got oh, no, she more, more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's no competition there. Anyways. There's no competition. <laughs> yeah, she, like, there's no competition. She just, there was. <laughs> yeah, she just blows me away. There's no, there's definitely no competition. <laughs> yeah, she blows me away. She blows most people away. Like yeah. when she's a guest on people's shows, and that's why to help you out. Cherry yeah. oh, <laughs> is on you. <laughs> she is my go-to when I need anything. I, you know, most let's put it this way: most real estate entrepreneurs are creative deal makers and they're movers and shakers and accounting and books and business operations is an afterthought. Oh, don't bore me with those details. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if you don't bore yourself and have somebody take care of those details, your business will be sunk very quickly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Your financing will dry up quickly if you don't have yes. your books in order. <laughs> exactly. So that's what uh, you have to have the professionals on your team to be able to do. If you can't do it or you don't want to do it, you need an expert on your team to be able to do it, right? To be able to do that work for you. After that, the thing about the account, my wife's accounting business is almost all the partners are, are real estate investors themselves. So they understand the language for financing as well. Like find me an accountant who does that, right? Someone mm -hmm. who can talk to your mortgage person. Yep. Because like back in the day when we were talking about accountants, right? Like that's your outsourced CFO of your company. Right, CFO's job is not just to do your accounting; it's also to do your, deal with your financing. Yep. Right? So most accountants aren't investors, right? So well, that's one of the things I love about with what Cherry does, and, and no, it should we should also be the presidents of Cherry, the Cherry Chan fan club, is 
you know, she puts out some great content on how to get financing, how to structure your corporations to get more financing, to bust through that five mortgage myth rule, or how do you handle the capital gains as a real estate investor to optimize? Like, what are the five mm-hmm. ways to, to five tips and strategies and how to maximize your, or I should say, minimize your capital gains, right? And uh, every time I've ever asked her, she's also always very polite and tell me, Russell, that's, um, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about this? What about this? Russell, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, there's way more things we can't do. And also, yeah. I, I make the joke that I've stress test Carrie already. Nice. <laughs> before any of you guys can ask her yeah. something she hasn't heard before. <laughs> okay, so so back to your business, Erwin. It's, so it is a real estate brokerage. You have coaches. You also put on an events. You put on, you have a membership program. You have a stock hacker training program. You do stock. Like, what do you like the best out of it? And what do you focus the majority of your time on out of your business? Good question. Uh, so just to clarify the brokerage part, I'm still yeah. an agent of Rockstar Real Estate. So I okay. still work with Tom and Nick. So you're like a sub broker, would that be a, the term or, or just, you're no, just an agent broker, under right. their brokerage and you have agents that kind of flow through you. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I don't want, as someone who doesn't like admin, I don't want to be a broker of anything. <laughs> well, yeah, as once you have your own brokers, there's an entire different fiduciary duty of reporting and a, a compliance and all those kind of things. You don't have to report to the board Correct. necessarily. Right. And have a trust account, and it's just all this other admin and, and cost. Not interested. So, to answer your question, I don't mean to dodge it. It's like when people say, "Oh, where should I focus my time in investing?" Like my honest answer is, you have to do everything. Right? It's like Russell. What investments don't you do? Because you probably have a little bit of everything. Well, right? I've tried a lot of things. Well, there's there's some things I don't do, but I'm open to it. I'm open to learning and hearing about them in many respects. <laughs> like one of the things. I was not open to hearing about Airbnb until recently. And I have some of my clients that are are doing Airbnb and I'm going, holy moly. Mm-hmm. I go, mm-hmm. teach me, share with you. You coach me on how to do that, especially if you can automate it and you don't have to work it. If you mm-hmm. can automate it and you can don't have to work at it, I'm yeah, all ears. Or <laughs> like my conversation I just had with Manny just recently. And after that, I was just like, holy moly, flipping. <laughs> how how yeah. How amazing is he doing right now? Wow. Oh, he's killing it. He's killing it. So, okay. So just take a step back. I'm not entirely driven by money. There's a lot of things I could be doing that makes a lot more money than I do. One of the things I've come across in my journey is one of the gaps for my clients is financial planning. So I've always been on the lookout for financial planners, right? People that I can refer my clients to. And in my research and talking to financial planners, like getting introductions, referrals, most of them are focused on high net worth individuals. And not just that, one of them was kind enough to say, if we like you, our minimum will be $100,000 investment, as in like we invest that for you. But there has to be a path for that to be that $100,000 to become a million, right? So that doesn't solve the solution for my, for my clientele. So there's basically no financial planners out there that will help the people I want to help, the people who don't have a million investable assets outside of real estate. So like Cherry and I have always been on this mission to help people who can't, who aren't born into prestige, right? And that's just what we do. So like the business, all our businesses are like that. Like I remember someone was teaching about joint venture, right? Joint venturing. They were saying that what they're teaching was 
don't join venture with someone. They were at a level. They're they were successful people, but I think that what they're teaching was don't join venture with someone who can't do at least three properties. Right? Like that's fine. Like you run your business the way you want. My real estate business, we will happily work with the client who can only buy one investment property. Happily. Do we appreciate the ones that can buy five to ten properties? Absolutely. But who can we move the needle for the most? Right? The one who can only do one property at a time. Right? So we do one property, three, five years. Hopefully we can do another one. Right? Yep. So wow. That's just the way we roll. So really, as an entrepreneur and as a, a business owner, you know, often business is about just professional problem solving. And you find a need and a gap in the market and you provide services to help your clients get their fulfill upon their dreams, fulfill upon their aspirations, fulfill upon their financial freedoms, fulfill upon many of their freedoms, right? And mm-hmm. help that out. that's just what business is all about, is it not, Erwin? It is. But in my experience, a lot of businesses will focus on people who have a lot more versus we've made the conscious decision. And this is part of, our, of working on this team is this is bigger than the job, right? What we do for our clients is bigger than us making money, bigger than them making money. Because if it was just about that, this would be a new construction condo business, right? If a focus is on making money in real estate as a realtor, we would sell new construction condos because they don't have supply issues like we have supply issues in, in selling property. Right. Right. Hmm. Good. I love your perspective on that. Now, I had an entire line of question to have about the stock hacking and the stock trading you do, but yeah. like, but holy moly, that could probably be another episode, could it not? <laughs> it could. So let me ask, I'll ask a couple simple questions though, because yeah. I'm simple. I'm not the expert by any way, shape or the imagination. As a matter of fact, with a lot of my clients who are also a lot of your clients, I asked them, well, teach me, share with me what you're doing and share with me what yeah. this is and talk to me about this whole, what the heck is a Dogecoin and stuff like oh, that. Oh, man. I'm teasing. I'm joking. I'm Going joking. from a real estate conversation to, to Dogecoin. <laughs> 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 we need to have a conversation with the hard asset. <laughs> okay. I agree. I agree. How are real estate investors kind of dovetailing them together and do they dovetail nicely with the stock trading the options trading and real estate investing at the same time. How are some of your most successful clients doing both? So uh, before we start recording, we didn't actually know this, but about around 70% of my audience and Cherry's audience are actually interested in stocks. And my experience was like, I went to business school. No one actually ever taught us how to make money in stocks. They just taught you like theories and textbook stuff, right? And now knowing a little bit more. And also, again, the problem for many is... Uh, inability to cash flow with real estate, especially in, in Southwestern Ontario. And a lot of people don't have the down payment, right? Versus we were able to teach people with as little as $10,000 and how to cash flow. So Joel, for example, one of our employees was for a string of months, he was cash flowing $400 with a $10,000 bankroll, right? So Stock Hacker Academy is a lot of things. I actually liken it to a lot like you and Don, for example, our instructors are two best-selling authors. One is Derek Foster. He's a six-time best-selling author. He retired at the age of 32. That might be someone I want to learn from. So we hired him to help us teach the course. So his investment focus, mainly on dividend-paying stocks and buying them when, when the stock is way beaten up. Kind of like right now. Lots of great stocks that are beaten up right now. And then to bring it back to real estate. So two of my favorite stocks are real estate-based. We talked about one of them. Do you remember which one? 
Airbnb. Yes. Okay. Right. With the world reopening, all these people with who've been cooped up want to travel. <laughs> yep. And that's why I've been telling some of my clients to pivot into a, even in a shorter a short term strategy, do some Airbnb and to take advantage mm-hmm. of that, depending mm-hmm. on the market conditions, Perfect. rules, stuff like that. And if you're ambitious. It works. If you're lazy like me, my Airbnb didn't work out. <laughs> it was too much work. Yeah. I sold it. I actually didn't make that much money because on that on that property, I actually made more money stock hacking the Airbnb stock <laughs> than being an owner operator of Airbnb. Now, there's I'm sure you have clients and I have friends who are very successful Airbnb investors. Totally cool for them. It's just not my wheelhouse to be an Airbnb host. Yeah. Uh, so I prefer to invest in the company Airbnb because based on economic fundamentals, right? People don't want to buy stuff anymore right now. This pendulum has swung the other way. People want experiences of travel. Is there, if you go on the streets of Vancouver, how many people can you find who don't know what an Airbnb is? Who've never stayed at an Airbnb? Who don't have plans to stay at an Airbnb in the next two, two three years? Oh, it's ubiquitous right now. Everybody, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And also just even talk to my friends, like talking to the same friends that you have. Hey, how's your Airbnb doing? Oh my God, I'm so booked up. I keep raising my rates and people keep booking them. Yeah. Mm, that might be a good business investment. I know one of the reasons why people in Southern Ontario did Air, a lot of Airbnb was really, really popular was because you didn't have the residential tenancy board rules were a lot different on a yes. short-term rental than they were on yeah, a long-term. And we, and we have your credit card. If you yes. do any damage, <laughs> I'm going to bill it to your credit card. Yeah. <laughs> good luck with that for our tenant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the tenant app, can you just fill out your credit card number? please. <laughs> no, I firmly believe that people are going to start, the human animal is going to start moving around again. But And it's funny, I saw a cute little meme is like, COVID, you know, everybody's cooped up. Once COVID's over, I'm going to, I'm going to start traveling again. Gas prices, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, gas prices. Wow. You know, with you, with your, your Tesla there, Erwin, as long as you don't have to drive, you know, a long distance and, you know, just keep mm-hmm. that, keep that generator in the back and you, you're good to go. Right. Yeah. Good point. You don't have to fly these days. And actually I'm not feeling the appetite to fly. Just, I don't like all the restrictions. Like I think they're fine for safe people's safety. I just want to have to go through it myself yeah. with my young kids. So like Cherry and I are still talking about staycationing in Ontario for the foreseeable future. So we'll go rent an Airbnb in cottage country, pay them a lot of money. <laughs> yes, it's going to cost me gas to go there, but you know, driving still won't be as bad as flying in terms of yep. cost. Nope. Yeah. And then another real estate play in stock hacking that I love is I try to keep how much I use their services to a minimum. Services as in food, if you can call it food, it's McDonald's. <laughs> I forget the number of how much real estate they own. I think they, they own like, I forget the number right now. I think it's like 70 billion or something like that. They own a lot of real estate. Yeah. Right. And I hear that's a good investment, right? <laughs> from time <laughs> to time, go, yes. From time, <laughs> and if you look what McDonald's, what real estate McDonald's do have, in my experience, they have wonderful real estate, right? And they rent out that real estate to the franchisees. I think that's the right term. To whoever owns the business and building that's on their real estate. Yep. And they collect something like $7 billion in rent a year. Wow. Right. Like, don't never forget it's a real estate company. Yeah. Think about that as a business model that let's say 
the restaurant business starts tanking or the restaurant business goes out of vogue and everybody wants to start eating healthier and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Let's say mm-hmm. that happens. Oh, oh, well, we'll just now start selling our assets, which are some of the most prime pieces of real estate to mm-hmm. to whatever. And just think about it as a backstop. You're good to go in both directions. Yeah. Right. That's a brilliant business. And they move with the times, right? Yeah. They have like, I think they have grilled chicken sandwiches now. Yeah. That's, still, that's still available with French fries, but you can get a salad. You can get a salad if you want. Yeah. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it pays like a two and a half percent dividend these days. Like that's more cash on cash return than a lot of real estate investors get, especially these condo buyers. Yeah. That's more 2.5% is more than they get. <laughs> nice. Nice. What's, uh, what's your take on energy at the moment? There's a hot one. Yeah, I should have a little sad. button that says "hot take," right? Or we should have insiders insiders secrets here, right? So, the better question is, when are we going to get some pipelines built <laughs> in Canada? <laughs> well, well, uh, what the? Oh, what, uh, what, 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 hang on, what the? Uh, geez, did I just hear? Did I hear that from somebody from Eastern Canada talking about wanting to oh build a pipeline? Lord. Huh? People are busy, so they don't have time to under have complete context of problems, right? And solutions. You know, if I walked around Toronto and, and I asked, do you remember when oil was high? Do you remember how much we got in transfer payments from the West to Ontario? Right? Do you remember we got all that money to pay for our healthcare and education? Did you mind it back then? Right? Do you think our education and healthcare system could use some money? <laughs> right? Yeah. Or we can buy stuff from, we can buy oil from Saudi. We can buy it from Trump's America. We can buy it from Russians. Oh, that's a better idea than buying oil from the West. Because wow. it's going to be, people don't think oil is going to be done in the West any, no matter what. Right? It's like these pipelines don't really exist. They're just looking for upgraded pipelines yeah. <laughs> along the same routes that these pipelines already exist. Oh. Right? context. I have to make sure I clip this video and and share this oh, out on every social media channel that I have about Erwin <laughs> Zito bullish Canadian oil. <laughs> oh, you I'm know. teasing. I'm having fun with you, Erwin. I'm having fun. <laughs> One of my favorite stocks out of the pandemic was Suncor, right? I was literally using Suncor as an example for folks in Stock Hacker Academy. At the time, it was this was talking about we're talking about May 2020. So the stock did down to under $13 American, right? If I don't even know what it is now, but it's probably up about 140, 150% now. And you'd be collecting a 10% dividend now. Yeah. Right. How's well, that for cash? You know, I'm a I know we've had some online conversations. I, I'll put it at that. And it's been it's been good. It's it's, it's in high respect that we have con- oh, yeah. we can have a difference of opinion on things and we can have yeah. uh, very good dialogue on it. And, and friendly I've discourse. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm a fan of Eric Nuttall and what he's done and hit some of his work that he's talking about that most Canadian energy companies are going to be debt-free probably within the next year to year and a half. Well, so That's not good. Is, investing. <laughs> so what does that mean? That means that they're going to be in a position to pay lots of free cash flow to investors. And that's what he's putting out there is potentially you're in a a generational opportunity right now with Canadian yeah. energy companies that are going to spit off an awful lot of free flow cash to its investors. Yeah. 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 And I'm a big fan of like Enbridge as a stock, as a company. Yeah. Hmm. We should turn the camera off here and you can give me your real stock picks now, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty, again, I'm pretty comprehensive though, too. Yeah. It's like I'm leading tech stocks as well. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, people need to stop being binary. 
right? You either force, or you're either with us or against us. Yep. Remember, remember how the rest of the line goes. Yep. Only the Sith speak in absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi. Ooh. Ooh. I know, sec here. Uh, Baby Yoda approves that comment there, Erwin. By the way, Baby Yoda approves. So, <laughs> Great. you know, people calling people sheeple or something like that. Yeah. Like, come on, we're having a friendly discourse. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's interesting that you say that. So um, I have a question for you. And I know how I've, I haven't handled it as well as I probably should have. And sometimes, pardon the Spider-Man reference here for a second, sometimes with great power comes great responsibility. And Mm -hmm. now I know you're in a leadership position and you have a community of people that look up to you that, you know, take some of your advice. And sometimes some of that advice doesn't turn out the right way. Oh, yeah. I mean, perfect. How, how, you know, and I've made some terrible market calls. I absolutely, I would look back on some of them and I said, you know what? I absolutely pooped the bed on that market call. But at the same time, I also was only sharing things that I was personally doing. So I was right in the, right in the same soup as you were. How do you feel sometimes when you make a call on something and it doesn't turn out, does it weigh on you? How does that feel for you? Oh, I feel terrible. Yeah. I'm way too emotionally invested in almost everything I do. Yeah. For example, like working as a realtor with investors, to buy a property, you have to win. So you have to pay more than anyone else was willing to pay. <laughs> generally, generally, it comes down to money, right? And every single time, even when I buy my own properties, I'm like, oh, I'll be overpaid. Yeah. <laughs> I hope this works out. <laughs> Well, it, yeah. here's the thing is, I think that's a good thing to have is that on some respects, it weighs on you because that means you care about your clients. If you were mm-hmm. just narcissistic and really just look at me, look at me, everything I do touches the gold and oh, about the we'll just brush those other things aside. Yeah. I think that would be a lot worse than having a little bit of sleepless nights that you made a bad call on something. So we, we talk about property managers, for example. Yeah. I've made bad calls on property managers. It's, it's partly the business is so difficult that many don't last, right? So I've had to tell clients, okay, fire that property manager I told you it was good and hire this one, yeah. right? And for my clients who've been with me a long time, I've probably had to tell them to fire that one too. <laughs> hire this one, yeah. right? So yes, I made bad calls, but I own it and take responsibility and endeavor to never do it again. Yeah. Right. So we're, we're not, and I don't leave my clients high and dry. It's yep. like, this is what we need to do to fix this problem. Own it, take responsibility for it and learn from it to, and, and tell people I messed up guys, I'm sorry. And here's what I learned from it. And here's where it, what I would do differently next time. Right. Yeah. And people have to understand like no piece of advice is good forever. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Trends change. Like I said, like not all businesses are always successful. Like McDonald's was not always the number one fast food company. Look at Blackberry. (laughs) They used to be dominant. (laughs) Things change. Yeah. And and how addicted to everybody was to their Crackberry and had Crackberry thumb, right? And is it even still around? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I thought I heard heard somewhere they're coming up with a new phone, but Hmm. right. But they're, they're reinventing themselves. And I've heard good things about their antivirus software. But again, my point is that things, no piece of advice would be good forever. Right. And no one's perfect. Like Warren Buffett, is, as successful as he's been, he's made mistakes too. Mm. Right. Hmm. And, yeah, he, and just he, don't he, he have the it. mistakes. You know, mistakes shouldn't be life sentences. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, for example, why we invest in quality. Right. That's why I talk about things like McDonald's. 
or like Apple stock, right? These things are quality. You know, <laughs> things change. My opinion was when I got like, when I had an iPhone, it's like, like AirPods, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying over $200 for headphones. My wired headphones are perfectly fine. Yeah. And, and how many pairs do you have now? I have within, your within your household, within your household. No, they're all mine. Oh, <laughs> oh there you go. There you go. Because the damn things, you lose them. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I found them again. That's why I've accumulated four pairs. Hmm. That's over a thousand dollars of AirPods I've paid to Apple. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. What a brilliant business. I'm embarrassed sometimes to add up all the Apple stuff in our household too between you know five of us and it's just like mm -hmm. yeah what but at the same time you know it's good quality stuff that lasts a long time and i just retired a 15 year old laptop 15 years mm -hmm. and it was still it still was working it finally just kind of crapped out but how many pcs mm -hmm. can people have for that are still workable Not, 15 years later right I, I don't think it happens no yeah it's, they're no. very they're disposable Right. Erwin, I know we can go on and on and on, but I want to be respectful. I know you have a massive business, an empire, if you will. The, the empire, it depends on which side of the, the empire. Is it on the evil side or the good side, right? In, in today's day and age, we don't know good up from down and good from bad anymore, do we? But I know in your case, you're always on the good mm -hmm. side, right? We definitely do our best and we'll yeah. own up to mistakes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if we can talk about the conference quick. <laughs> no, I, I know. I was just about to say is I was, I'm going to. So here, um, Erwin, uh, when we were talking before, I hear a little rumor. Um, this is one of my favorite pictures. I know it's a little blurry here, but um, this was you and I in front of the Wealth Hacker event with Grant Cardone. And yeah. what was the final number? What was it like? Eight, 1,500, 1,800? How many people were there? We sold 1,500, uh, 1,550 tickets. Yep. Uh, so there's somewhere just under that, probably in that room. And then I think some people snuck in too. <laughs> yep. so I don't know. <laughs> yep. And there's young Irwin with his new suit there with Grant and Elena there. You got yeah. to meet, got to go down to Florida with Grant there. So I hear a rumor you're having another conference. What's going on there, brother? Yeah, we, we decided that we're going to do it again. It kind of upsets my stomach <laughs> with this, you know, some mandates may come back. Oh boy, I don't know why we're doing this. Because the thing is, we don't need to do this. We honestly don't need to do it. Why we're choosing to do the conference is because it still fits our mission. Is to still help everyday Canadians learn about the best practices in building wealth. Right? So this is, this is a cherry and I's conference. We are the only investors in this. Uh, we're the only organizers. And again, we lost money on the last one. We might lose money on this one again. We actually know we likely will lose money on this one again. We'll make some money if people choose to do business with us. But on the event itself, we will lose money. Yeah, that's a typical model of a, an event business is... I know. I don't know why anyone does this. It's it's <laughs> it's extremely expensive way to get clients. But it now can set up business for 10 plus years after with people doing business with you with a database. It's invaluable for that database that can be collected from that as well. It can be that. Yeah, but a gentleman reached out to me to because uh, he's he's writing a book. He's a fireman, and I asked him like, "What inspired you to do this?" He goes, first he jokingly said, "You." He said, "Actually, my dad, because he got bored, he's a farmer, and he started flipping houses. And and then when his son started showing interest in real estate, he goes, "Look, look up Irwin, listen to his podcast. He knows everything. That's what he said. I don't yeah. know everything, 
And then from there, he uh, went to my conference and he's since invested in Airbnbs. He's got one in, in New York. And he's got one in Niagara Falls. But what really he said, like, thank you for that conference. It really got me going. Right. And he wasn't even, he's not even a customer yeah. of mine. Like he's never bought anything from me. But that story is just so inspiring and it really drives me to do what we do. Yep. When is it happening, Merwin? Can you November give 12th? the date? November 12th, 2022. Yeah. Do you have yeah. a headliner that you're bringing in? We do. We haven't announced it yet. He's mm. signed and everything. We just haven't announced it yet. So it should, it'll be pretty cool. Whisper, you can just, it'll be our secret if you just tell me, Erwin, today. <laughs> I think you already know. Do uh, I? Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you've forgotten. But uh, it's not so much about the headline speaker. Yeah. You know, straight honest, when we did the analysis of, of the last conference that we did with Grant, the vast majority of ticket sales, I don't have the data in front of me, but I think it's over 70, 80%. I think it's over 80%. Over 80% of the people who bought tickets were already in our database. Mm. As in, they already knew who we were. They already know who Cherry and I were. Yep. They didn't buy, and then the remainder bought because of Grant, which and is it was not just, a good ROI. <laughs> it, was a, it was a really good celebration and a good party for the community to come together. It had been a while yes. since something like, and thank you for putting on the party and on your dime. And, <laughs> and all somebody had to do, honest to goodness, all somebody had to do was get themselves there and maybe a plane ticket and a $200 ticket or something, and you got to hang out with a cool party. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a really good point. I find with the real estate community, we're still a little bit fragmented. Yep. Not because anyone doesn't like each other. It's just uh, most people are still more cliquey with whichever community that they started with, right? We have like Rich Dad Legacy. We have Keyspire. We have Rain People. We have Rockstar members, for example, yep. right? But because Cherry and I are connected to all of them, they all came together, which yep. was like so beautiful, Yep. right? Aww. It's like the only event where they all come together, Aww. right? But you, you know what I mean? Because I, like, I, I, I 100% agree. I 100% concur with that. So, like for example, we had rain friends that went on to Keyspire, for example, and then but now they're back to see you at the at my event. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. Well, awesome. So, Erwin, you've got all these things. So, so I'm gonna just you know got some wonderful pictures you've done. Like I shared the event, you and Grant, you host a wonderful podcast. You know, I picked a good photo of a, a good podcast episode. I heard on that episode that a guy called Edmonton is going to be the next opportunity market out there. And geez, that was about a year and a half ago or something, wasn't it? I've sent lots of people to Edmonton. I know. Goals like, I know. <laughs> like if you want Edmonton, if you want cash flow and you want Alberta, like yeah. go talk to Jason Russell. Like yeah. Well, thank you. Why else you Why are you talking to other people? <laughs> you know, if I could buy pre, if I could buy new construction duplexes and fourplexes, yeah. that's all I buy. Yeah. Right. It's only possible in your market. Well, because builders here don't want to do that stuff. They want to build a house. They don't really want to finish the basement. Well, it's it's already <laughs> sold before it. they even built it. <laughs> exactly. In many cases, right? Right. They need to build more houses, not finish basements. Yeah. <laughs> You're also very community-minded with your philanthropic ventures. You are probably one of the most fun-loving guys that I know. And and what's this thing here, Erwin? It's it's a game. It's like with, with sticks and balls, and you put a little white ball into a hole. What what is that thing all about? It's golf, right? Yeah. Is there You're a golf? You're gonna beat the crap out of me. I can't play with. I can't wait to just hang out with you on a course and play though. Is there a, <laughs> is there a roundup coming for you and I? Yeah, man. Just let me know when you're in town. Okay. Well, let me know I had an want. invitation from from Manny to go drive some Corvettes and drink beer right. on his boat. And yeah, 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 yeah. And hopefully, there's maybe a round of golf in there when I come out there next summer. Let me know. I have some friends uh, with some that have access to some nice courses. Nice. I can call in some favors. I'm sure they want to see you too. Then. Oh, well. <laughs> 
It's been too long. I was just sitting there. It's it's funny how all those memories are popping up on Facebook memories. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I remember when we actually used to do that. So I know I would much rather do this in person. I'd much rather have you sitting across from me at the table or across from you at the table. But this is a good second opportunity, a good second best, if you will, opportunity. Yeah. Can't wait to have you back. We'll host another big meetup at a restaurant like we did oh, the other that time. Was, that was so much fun. So, guys, let's do it again. Remember people cried? Yeah, <laughs> let's do it again, for sure. Erwin, two things I want to do here before we sign off. Number one is I want to look in the eye here. I wanted to acknowledge you. I wanted to acknowledge who you've become. I remember you way back in the day, that the shy kid, the kid that honestly, you know, pardon the, the saying here, is if you said boo you would uh, you would fall over right and, and big glasses you know awkward shy and but you you were relentless in your pursuit relentless in your ambition and you just you went after it you went after it and who you become how you serve and how you show up in this world is truly inspirational and i just wanted to offer you i don't know we i don't think we have enough that we offer gratitude and appreciation to other. And I just want to offer you some appreciation for what you've done and who you become and who you help. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you for all that, what you've done. Oh, I'm just going to throw that back in your face, Russell, because, you know, you've inspired so many on your talks from stage. I remember telling you, uh, I think it was probably like my 10th acre. <laughs> I remember your JV presentation, you know, for many of us who've been around a while, like, that was the best presentation of the weekend, right? It's Russell's, Russell Westcott's, uh, you wanted to be in the room for Russell's uh, JV presentation. Well, uh, we got to do more of those. Never got old. <laughs> yeah, we got to do, we got to do a few more of those. We got to bring the fire back, my friend. Bring the fire back. Woo-wee. Erwin, I always like to ask this last question of all my guests. And one of the last questions I have is, you know, let's say somebody's sitting here and they're listening to this or they're watching it on YouTube. By all means, please subscribe, podcast, and YouTube. And someone's feeling a little bit stuck. Maybe they're just not sure the next step forward. What would you, let's say you had a coffee with that person. Uh, what advice mm-hmm. would you give that person? And they're feeling just a little bit stuck and they're just unsure what the next step is for them. What advice would you give them? I have so many thoughts in my head. It's really difficult. <laughs> First off, hang out with better people. Yep. Right? I think everything gets easier when you hang out with uh, with people who are doing and it's always been something I've done is whenever someone has something I want, I'll make the effort to be their friend. Right. And I, and I mean it like when read, when friends and influence people, then you'll know how to become someone's friend. And then I'll try to become their friend. Right. By giving them value as well. Right. You know, if I want to talk to Russell Westcott, I'll invite him on my podcast, for example. Right. I'm not just going to Russell. Yep. Can I buy you a coffee and then pick your brain for three hours? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the sad thing is, is you, when you and I have the opportunity to talk, we've both been very busy of late. The only time we get a chance to talk and connect is doing a podcast episode. So I've booked yours for, for, for about six weeks out too. So we'll have another chance to talk again for sure. So, yeah, But we're on that golf course, so we stuck together. Oh, four, four and a half hours with Erwin. Six. I need six. 130 strokes. Well... <laughs> Truth be told, for the longest time, I had my wife convinced that golf was a 10-hour event. <laughs> until one day she came up time. Until one day she came with me and said, this doesn't take 10 hours. <laughs> this is the sober up. Yeah, exactly. What this is only like balls. three this is like three hours. What do you do for the rest of the time? Oh, oh, yeah, you're good. Yeah. The, the gig is up. 
<laughs> yeah, I wish. I wish. Oh, awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, we could go on and on. And I, I do want to let you go here, Erwin. So thank you very much for that and inspirational close is hang out with a better community. If you need something, just reach out, learn from others and take the lesson from you is that, you know, not when you show up, but you show up to give, right? You show mm-hmm. up to serve, mm-hmm. you show up to help and the problem solving skill from there. So, wow. Mm-hmm. Powerful, powerful episode. Sorry, Russell, I was, I was using it, uh, use an example from my own experience. If I want to talk to Russell Westcott, I'll be at the rain meeting when Russell Westcott's there. So that way I'm not on his time, right? If Russell's in the room and at the meeting, he's there to talk to members, right? This is an example, right? So for example, if someone wants to talk to me, like I'm pretty public where I'm going to be. So just be there and I'll happily talk to you. The rest of the time, it's between business and my family, right? My kids are really young. So, you know, I'm very protective of my time, right? So, yeah. Nice. And again, use the same rules with anyone, right? If you know where they're going to be, be there, right? Perfect, perfect way to end it. And and you know what? Dave is going to be editing this. So he, he'll have all the EQ curves from your voice to be able to put and, and do all that. And it's like he's going to be sick and tired of hearing your voice and sick and tired of hearing my voice, right? Yeah, poor Dave. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. If any of you guys are interested in a, an amazing podcast engineer and editing team and stuff like that, let us know. We'll hook you up with, with one of the best around. He just, honestly, because I just take this file, I dump it onto a Dropbox thing, I put an intro and an outro, and Dave and his team uh, a week later say, yeah, oh, it's all done, it's uploaded, show notes, everything's done. So, Yeah, shout out to Dave. I used to get negative feedback on my reviews because of the audio quality. Yeah. All that ended when I got Dave. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, Erwin, it's been too long. Until the next time, have yourself a wonderful day. We will get together very soon. And guys, stay tuned to your email. Stay tuned to maybe the podcast. I'll be letting you know more about Erwin's conference that's upcoming. And also, if I'm coming out to Ontario, we'll maybe make a party of it. We'll have a little bit of a celebration. Oh, we'll have a party. Yeah, we'll get together in, in a very tame and fun, inspiring way, right? And big. And big. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll rent out Jack Astor's. <laughs> <laughs> like the last Might time. Might not be enough. Might not be <laughs> enough. Okay, Erwin, thanks for your time, my friend. Thanks, Russell. So, what did you think of today's episode? Wasn't that a wonderful conversation? I just had so much fun catching up with Erwin. He's just such a genuine guy. He's just so cash and laid back and everything's uh everything's you know he's always got a smile on his face he always has a wonderful perspective on things even when you have a disagreement with him you know it's always from uh, a course uh, it's always from a place of genuine respect of each other it's always from a place of uh wanting to find the truth really and henceforth his name of his podcast the truth about real estate investing so erwin i don't know if you listened to mine or not just wanted to thank you one more time Thank you for the wonderful inspiration you've been to the community. Thank you for being there uh, and helping and supporting people on their journeys within real estate, within stocks, within business, within accounting, financial planner. Man, I I made the joke that it's easier probably to talk about what you aren't doing than what you are doing. So well done, Erwin. Congratulations. So what was your biggest takeaway? from this. Did you um, maybe get resonated or get on fire by the, the buying a property for your kids? Maybe you got 
little bit clearer on maybe a, a market that you want to invest in. Maybe you got a little bit clearer, maybe that you need to pivot out of a market. Maybe you got a little bit more clear on some, I know Irwin dropped a few stock tips on here as well. Maybe you got a little bit more clear on what your strategy is going forward. And did you get, did you mark down the date? Did you mark down the date that Irwin announced of the next Wealth Hacker event? If any of you were at the last event that he had, literally probably coming on, be coming on three years now. And it will be three years since the last one. If you were at that one, you know that event on how much of a party and how much fun that was. And we're going to do it again. Sorry, Erwin, I'm graciously putting myself in the we category here. Erwin and Cherry are 100% in charge of that. And they're going to put on that event again, pending lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. So mark that in your calendar. You're going to be probably hearing a little bit more throughout the community. And I'm going to be very happy to attend, happy to participate, happy to um, speak in whatever Irwin would need for that. I'd be, I'd be very glad to be part of that as well. Okay, gang. One thing I want to just say before I end off here, uh, I've been having probably two to three conversations a day about investing in Alberta and investing in the Edmonton marketplace. But here's the thing. I, first of all, I will give 100% congratulations for people for taking the actions, jumping in, moving forward with velocity, gung-ho-ness, right? That is, that's huge. That's usually, I have a greater, more difficult about getting people to go giddy up as opposed to getting people to go, whoa, down horsey a little bit. But here's the thing. I'm seeing some pretty big errors, that people are making. I'm seeing a lot of brand new rookie people investing into a market that they're just not sure of right now. And they're, you know, frankly put, they're getting probably the wrong advice. They're getting the wrong advice from maybe a realtor who's just trying to sell them something and just earn the commission. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the realtors. I have a business partner as the realtor. Realtors are amazing. They provide amazing service, but they're not there to provide guidance. They're not there to potentially tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're there to transact a property. That's their job. Okay. So here's, here's what I'm message I'm trying to say is if you are looking to get into Alberta, especially maybe into the Edmonton marketplace, I've set aside a few times in my calendar to have some consultations. And my consultations come with no attachments. They come with, you don't ever have to buy anything. There's nothing for sale. I'm just here to give you my perspective of being an investor in the market with 20 plus years of experience. And I can share with you the landmines I've stepped on. I would share with you what I'm personally doing. And I would share with you if I was starting over again in the Edmonton marketplace what I would do. Okay, so if any of you are interested in having that conversation, in the notes below, there will be a link to book that time. Book that time, you'll get 45 minutes in my calendar. And if that link is still there, that means it's still free. Now, it's going to be free for the foreseeable future, unless my calendar gets so jam-packed, which it has been. I, I literally am having, like I said, two to three conversations a day. And there are only so many so many hours in the day. I have an awful lot of clients. I have, a, you know, my wife and kids. And I have a very active real estate business, a growing real estate business. And yes, I am doubling down on my portfolio in Alberta right now. So if you are interested, hit that link below, book a time, and we'll have a conversation. All right? With all that being said, remember, gang, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody.
Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.